Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome hmm. to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus, the Fernicus, pound for pound, the best co-host in the game. But that may change if he gains weight. Charette. <laughs> yeah, we're here. Doc yes. G, we're doing it. Thank you so yes. much. I literally had like just like a, a brain meltdown right when I was about to say the Doc G show. There. So true. I don't know what it was. <laughs> there was a little delay. Yeah, that, that wasn't dramatic, uh, listeners. That wasn't like a dramatic pause. That was me forgetting my own show's name that's literally my name. And I was like, I... What is it again? What What is it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. Luckily, the co-host, the best co-host, is here to save the day. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Valentine's Day, Mike. It's coming. Yes, it is. It's coming next Monday. Oh, next, next Monday. Next Monday. Not oh, a. Not, that is. Yeah. You, you gonna do anything with the with the lady friend? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But nothing is planned. I've got no oh, gift no. ideas. Oh no. Not good. That is that is not good. That is. Yeah. I I I've been lucky enough that the folks that I have been associated with that were significant others of mine, yeah, didn't really give a. Shit. Valentine's Day. So, you know, yeah, I I find that a very important aspect of choosing a significant other. Um <laughs> because I I don't I don't care too much, but I I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I bet our listeners care a little bit. So, I should do something a little special for Valentine's Day for them. Get a little something special for the listeners. Yeah. So I thought, you know, you know what a lot of people get on Valentine's Day? They get flowers. Candy. Flowers. And can yeah, well, both. Yes. You know, if we were if we were if we were doing uh what's what's that? Uh family family feud. If we we're doing family feud right now, both of those would be on the top five. Mm-hmm. That's that's For sure. true. Uh, I went with flowers. Now, before you get too excited, listeners, I didn't actually get you flowers. Nope. I got you something better. Word. I got you reviews of people who weren't <laughs> happy with their flower orders. Yes. 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 Mike, it's That's time to open about. a little segment we call Why Would You Review That? Why would you review that? Did somebody tell him this is a really bad idea for a segment? They did, and he didn't care. <sighs> All right, it's time for Why Would You Review That? Oh, Mike, so now a very popular place to purchase flowers, 1-800-Flowers. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ever listen, if there are any uh, of our listeners out there that uh, from time to time also dabble in sports radio, I'm sure they've heard a uh, 1-800-Flowers ad. Because that that that's like got to be their target audience. So true. Because they play those ads nonstop. You know, mm. I, I think it's just for lazy folks that are like listening to 
will Tom Brady come back for his 58th year in the NFL? And then it's like, hey, remember Valentine's Day is in five days. Order something on our our website, you lazy piece of <laughs> There you go. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's what it's for. But uh, I started thinking, I was like, you know what? I bet, I bet they're not good all the time. I bet you <laughs> there's some fails as far as 1-800-Flowers. So I looked them up, Mike. And yeah, yeah, there are some fails. Also, awesome. re- real quick side note, Mike, they own a lot of companies. That's right. 1-800-Flowers huh. has taken over a lot of smaller companies that also deliver <laughs> Like uh, Sherry's Berries. Have you ever heard of that? Sherry's Berries? No. They own Sherry's Berries. They also own <laughs> Fanny Farmer. They also own Harry London Candies and Harry and Davids. They own hmm. uh, yeah. Like a bunch of a bunch of delivery places. They just absorbed. They're a conglomerate, Mike. A conglomerate. Anyway, hmm. Anyways, their orders have over 21,844 reviews. Jeez. So I thought let's do a little Valentine's magic. Here we go. So uh, I'm going to start with an unnamed reviewer from last week, Mike. Here's an unnamed, okay. unnamed reviewer. Quote, after three phone calls, the flowers ordered for a funeral were still never delivered. The only satisfaction <laughs> we received from 1-800-Flowers is getting our money refunded. I will no longer be using their services in the future. End quote. <laughs> now... Mike, I don't know if this is any solace for the reviewer, but I think I can confidently say no one has ever felt better at a funeral because of flowers. Nope. Yeah, I don't think so. And and if and if you are, you're a weird person. Like just th- <laughs> just think of how weird that'd be if there was a person at their funeral. Like, well, this is really depressing. My granddad died, but on the plus side, I do have a bouquet of lilies beside me. So <laughs> it balances out, I think. I think I'm okay. I'm not too worried. Like, no, no. Plus, the only satisfaction was getting your money refunded. Hmm. That that equals it out. That's pretty much everything. <laughs> That's what you paid for those flowers. So, you know. Anyways, our next one, unnamed reviewer who apparently ordered pears, Mike. Pears. pears. Yeah, the fruit. Pears. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it was Rick Ross. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But they're very disappointed. Here's the quote. Quote, very disappointed in the quality of the pears. Very hard, exclamation point, exclamation point. No flavor or juiciness, end quote. (laughs) Yeah. Which I do have to be honest. This is just a downer. You know, you don't want bad fruit. That's a downer. So true. Uh, But at the same time... Why would why wouldn't you just go to the grocery store to get pears? I, yeah, did they come with flowers? I, I don't know. I don't know if this was like an <laughs> edible bouquet that also had flowers. I went to a breakfast place, Mike, over Thanksgiving that had hibiscus flowers every morning that were you know mm. edible there on the top of your meal. And I got to be honest, they didn't really have any flavor. Nope. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was just like a flavorless flower on the top of yeah. your meal. But anyways, here's our next. They look nice. Oh, yeah. It was it, it beautified the uh, the arrangement. <laughs> 
But uh, next on the list, we actually have a named review. This is Joyce Denega. Joyce. Yeah. Joyce. Joyce said, quote, I've been trying to give my son a birthday present and ordered a month early. The product was never delivered. When it was delivered, it was sent to the wrong address, Uh which sort of contradicts itself there, Mike. It was never delivered, and then it was delivered to the wrong address. Anyways, (laughs) I've had to call customer service line three times in a two-week period. My call was dropped multiple times. One time, I heard a rooster in the background, and I was trying to sort out the problem. Wait, what? I can hardly understand the person on the other line, as they are from another country... Service is awful, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> so, Mike, first off, some classic racism, right? Just, uh, you got some just classic, ra- I bet you anything. I bet you the person from another country that she was talking to speaks better English than Joyce. That's a fact. I, she, they're probably British. They might have been a part of the, <laughs> the London exchange. I, I'd <laughs> love to see their scores on a 10th grade English exam. Judging from the looks of Joyce's review... She wouldn't pass. Nope. Second, what the f- are you trying to get your son for his <laughs> birthday from 1-800-Flowers? Whatever it is, he would be depressed. Whatever yeah. it is, he's not going to be happy with that gift. Um, Flowers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh? What? All right. Pears. Another unnamed reviewer. Um and you know what? I'm na- I'm tired of having un- unnamed reviewers, so we're going to call this person Janice. 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 Yeah. Janice said, quote, terrarium glass was broken. This was a gift for a person in a nursing home who I wanted to have something green to look at since she had enjoyed gardening. They could not replace it with the same item, so they substituted it with a bouquet. If I had wanted a bouquet... I would have sent one. I am embarrassed that the burden of having to replace this fell on the poor woman in the nursing home. End quote. Word. Janice, I'm not exactly sure why the burden falls on the poor woman in the nursing home. Nope. That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm pretty sure the poor woman in the nursing home didn't want your terrarium or your pity either. Um, you know, just just me? She'd probably rather have somebody to talk to instead of turds that send her mm-hmm. worthless gifts. So <laughs> go visit her like a normal person and stop complaining about 1-800-Flowers. That's just what I'm going to say. I don't know, Mike. It just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But terrariums, they've got all kinds of things. They got a lot place. of th- Well, I told you they're a conglomerate, Mike. A lot of options. They have all kinds of crazy things now. Um Mike, an unnamed reviewer who definitely deserves the name Karen. Uh, (laughs) Karen wrote a review on February 1st that was 446 words long. Wow. You know what? Yeah. Wow. Strongly worded. She spent that long on a review of 1-800-Flowers. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Ben, you spent just as long counting the words. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I just cut and pasted it into a Word document and did a word count that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a fact. Anyways, I'm just saying, 446 words. I didn't have the stamina to read through that nonsense. That's insane. I, I, 
hats off, Karen. Hats off. But you got some highlights, right? No? No. Didn't even get it. I was just like, this is (laughs) no. No, thank you. Um, We're moving on to Susie's unnamed review. Uh, Again, I made up the name Suze. Uh, Suze. Suze says, quote, I used to be a big fan, but am beyond disappointed and would have a hard time ordering again. Hmm. These were a part of my husband's birthday gift. How horribly <laughs> embarrassing. End quote. Really? Horribly embarrassing. Again. Horribly embarrassing. Again, Mike, you should have been horribly embarrassed that you got your husband something from 1-800-Flowers. <laughs> Second, what kind of relationship do you have with your husband? Like, because if you had a normal relationship, here's how it'd go. Hey, I, I ordered something else. Uh, for your present a while ago, but it hasn't came in the end. That's it. Like, and then the other person would say, Oh, okay. Yes. And that would like horribly embarrassed. Like what's going on? Like I would instantly want to break up with a girl. If she said, Oh my God, I ordered you a present, but it hasn't came in. I'm horribly embarrassed. I'd be like, maybe we shouldn't be in a relationship. Jeez. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Uh, I got two more, Mike. Here's two more. This one uh, is, uh, let's call this reviewer Derek. It's another a- unnamed reviewer. This is Derek. Derek. Quote, poorly! <laughs> exclamation point. Again, that that's literally what it says, listeners. Poorly! Exclamation point. <laughs> Quoted delivery time was missed by a mile. End quote. Hmm. Mike, I'm no hmm. I'm no units expert, but I would say uh, uh, delivery time usually not estimated in miles. Nope. Just, <laughs> just I mean, those flowers should have been at my house about 14 miles ago. <laughs> like that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Yeah, doesn't work. Now. Last one, Mike. As you know, we usually do one stars. These have all been one stars. But every now and then, I see it. I see a good review that I'm like, eh, I gotta, I gotta use it. So here we go. Okay. This is a good review. This is a four star review, and it's another unnamed reviewer. Let's call her Martha. Sweet. This is Martha. Martha. Quote: Fifty dollars for four soup packs was extreme. Comma. But it was a good basket to send someone grieving. Four stars. Huh? Four (laughs) stars. Really, Martha? Four cans of soup is a good basket to send a person grieving. So true. That's that's interesting. Well, on one hand, my wife is dead. But on the other hand, I do have four cans of tomato bisque. So, you know, thanks, Martha. That was awesome. I feel better now. There you have it, Mike. There you have it. If you were planning on sending your significant other cans of soup for Valentine's Day and hoping they get there at least three miles before Valentine's Day, you better go somewhere else besides 1-800-Flowers. That's what I'm telling you, Mike. There we go. Are you ready to fire it up? Let's fire it up. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Woo! Mike, we have a fantastic show, fantastic musician, 
a uh, San Francisco original, Mr. Sonny Smith on the show. Just a fantastic nice. artist. This guy does it all. He does visual art. He does music. He does music all over the country. He's le- released, I don't know how many albums, like 12, something like that. Crazy wow. amount of it. Yeah, just prolific. That's what we call a, a prolific uh, career, Mike. Prolific. Mm-hmm. Yes. But first, we need to start where we start. It's a birthday suit. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, uh, I think maybe one. <laughs> I think this okay. this first I'll one. Take that. The first one is definitely your best bet. The this uh, okay. Um, it's got it, it, huh? It'll work its way into one that you should know. I think starting off, you're gonna be like, I'm not gonna know that, but you may know it. Here we go. <laughs> Born in 1763. Hey, that's our third one. I don't know. That's our third one. You're probably not going to get him. But, uh, yes, it's actually, I mean, you might actually be right on. Hold on. What year was he born in? Uh, 1773. You were close. Oh, my gosh. Hilarious. Very close. Very close. But our first first birthday suit here, uh, born on... Where I lost my oh born on February 9th, nineteen forty three. Our birthday suit where always seemed to be interested in acting and singing. By the age of five, he was acting in local plays around the New York area. He also loved playing music. He grew up with Tommy DeVito and Frankie Valley and introduced them to Bob Gaudio, which led to the creation of the Four Seasons. Word. The the music group, the Four Seasons. Our hmm. birthday suit wearer released his debut album, Little Joe Sure Can Sing, in 1968. But by the 1970s, his acting career was what he was more focused on. In 1979, he received a phone call from Martin Scorsese, who had seen him in a low-budget film, uh, Death Collector, and wanted him to play in his upcoming movie, Raging Bull, which he did. He then starred in Dear Mr. Wonderful, Easy Money, and Eureka. In the late 80s, he starred in Lethal Weapon 1, 2, and 3. But in 1990, he played... A role that he's most known for, Tommy DeVito in uh, the movie Goodfellas. Also in 1990, uh, 1990, he starred in Home Alone as the criminal Harry Lime. He then played in the successful My Cousin Vinny as the title character. Hmm. In 1995, he played Nicky San- uh, Santoro in Casino. In 1999, our birthday suit wearer pulled a little bit of a Jay-Z and announced his retirement from acting. But since then, he's he's revived his career several times, the biggest being in The Irishman in 2017 that he filmed uh, that he starred in with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Name that birthday suit wearer. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is correct. Yes. Nicely done. Yeah. Which movie was it, Mike? Huge fan. Which one did it? Well, I mean, I guess if you're a huge uh, fan, it gave all of them gave it yeah. away. Yeah. Hey, Goodfellas, definitely Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Definitely Home Alone. I thought. I thought. Uh, but Goodfellas. Yeah. I thought sure. maybe the. Uh, I thought maybe the uh, Home Alone would do it. You know. Most people, yeah, for sure. Most people oh, yeah. of our age range, that sort of uh, that jumps out. 
It's a, it's a, it's a big it. one, you know? It's a big one. He killed it. He did the... Uh, I saw a review, actually, when I was writing that, where it was talking about how he revived the idea of unintelligible curse words being muttered under your breath, sort of like Yosemite <laughs> Sam in cartoons. And I was like, he did do that. That did happen in Home yeah, Alone a lot. That was he definitely did. It's a good, good job, Joe Pesci. Good acting right there. And then, of course, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Goodfellas. Go get your a shoe shine box. You know, just uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's such a good. And that was all improvised. That whole part was wow. like, but, well, it wasn't. Imp- it was like I don't know what you would call it. Partial improvisation. Because basically what uh, Scorsese had him do was he had him just like role play like for several like retakes, like five of them, and then he took the best one. So it was like improvisation, hmm. but it was like repeated improvisation. They had a direction. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And well, and he gave him like, you know, sort of like a talking point. And right. And you know the part where he's like he's like uh, he says you're funny and he's like what what about me amuses you? How? How am I funny? Tell me how am I funny? You know, and he freaks out on the guy. Apparently, mm-hmm. that happened to Joe Pesci. Apparently, he was a waiter when he was a teenager and like a mobster in New Jersey like made a joke when he was waiting on him oh. at a at a restaurant and he was like, "Ha, ah, that's funny." And the guy was like, "It's funny how?" Tell me how I'm funny. And he was like, oh, God, I'm going to get shot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I definitely would have crapped my pants if I was That's him. a fact. Uh, anyways, Joe Pesci turned 79. Jeez. 79 wow. for Joe Pesci. Yeah. Wild. Well, have you seen The Irishman? Um, I don't think so, no. I need to see it. I haven't seen it. You know? I mean, it's yeah, it's got to be good. It's Martin Scorsese. It's Robert De Niro. It's Al Pacino. It's Joe yeah. Pesci. Come on. Come on, that's just good times right there. That's just yeah, pretty much. It's all the classic the dream players, of, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the classic players of mob movies. Come on, you got to yeah, do it. Exactly, you got to do it. It's it's got to be right up there with the with Goodfellas and The Departed. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Anywho, Mike, are you ready to rip some headlines? Yeah, let's hear them. It's now time for rip from the headlines. Mike, right here in Florida. Here we go. Here we go. Here we this go. is uh, across the state in Tampa. In Tampa, uh, Mike, have you uh, ever Tampa? Have you ever lived in a high-rise apartment? I lived on the eighth floor of a building mm-hmm. in downtown Orlando. Does that count? I don't eh. know. I'm not. I'm not trying to upstage you, but I lived in a, a on a tenth floor one time. Wow! So, Ooh, you know, that's awesome. You know, good July Fourth spot. Yeah, it was. Mine was sort of like mine was like right against a hill in uh, South Carolina there. Uh, so I, oh, okay. I wasn't really. I didn't really have a good view on the tenth floor. Uh, it wasn't really hmm. doing much. And there was a railroad track right beside me, so uh, it's very loud at night and scared the bejesus yeah. out of you. But anyways. Uh, another annoying thing that can happen in those high rises, Mike, fire alarms. Oh yeah. Hey, did you ever get one of those when you lived on the eighth floor? Oh uh, yeah, we got them a couple times. Pretty scary. Yeah. Eight floors up. And then you got to work your way <laughs> down the the stairs. You got to go yeah, all the way we down. We did live right. We live right next to the stairs though. So that's little, good. That's good. A little comforting. Yeah. Well, uh, this happened on a high rise apartment in Tampa on Twelfth Street. But there was a uh, extremely interesting twist to the story. 
Apparently, the fire alarm went off because a man pulled the fire alarm. Hmm. And hmm. that man was completely naked. And hmm. that man proceeded <laughs> to spray people with a fire extinguisher when they came out of the building because of the alarm. Wait, what? Yep. Wow. Yep. Talk about a Florida story. Come on. That's pretty great. Yeah. That's... And, uh, Mike, I got to say, I really... So, this guy obviously was arrested. Um, but, Mike, <laughs> I hope this guy wasn't on drugs. Like, I hope this guy wasn't on drugs because I want to follow this guy around just to observe a day in this the life of this dude. <laughs> Because, like, if, if it was drugs, obviously, like, okay, well, that that's uh, uh, an interesting life enhanced by chemical uh, chemical uh, performance enhancers, right? <laughs> but, like, if this was, if you could tell me this was a fully sober man that decided, like, you know what I should do? It's 5 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm going to get naked, and I'm going to pull the fire alarm. And then I'm going to spray people with the fire extinguisher. Sweet. <laughs> There's no way you can tell me that that guy doesn't do other very extremely interesting and weird things the rest of the day. Like, oh, yeah. He does. Definitely. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to have to ask him while he's in jail. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Anyways, Mike, another interesting story out of uh, another interesting place, Alabama. Uh, mm. This story comes from the Panda Express in Huntsville, Alabama. Panda. That's right. And I think... Panda Express. I think we all know, Mike, when you think of great authentic Chinese food, you think Panda Huntsville. Express. Yeah. Huntsville, Alabama, Panda Express. <laughs> That's where you really get it. Um, but apparently, the Panda Express had to close early this past Sunday night. Because there was a shooting outside of their store. Oh, no. Yeah. Apparently, one of the employees accidentally shot himself in the hand. Wait, what? Yep. Hmm. Yep. Now, a couple of things, Mike. Uh, it's going to take me a lot to convince me that you need a gun on your shift at Panda Express. So true. There's going to be a, I'm going to need a lot of evidence yeah. that you can actually convince me that it's a necessary thing to show up to hand out Beijing beef with your nine millimeter <laughs> like that. So good. It is. It's delicious. It's my favorite. Um, that's why I used it. I mean, orange chicken is definitely their popular, most popular dish, but. Beijing's beef's got to be. That's a fact. Anywho, mm -hmm. second, how do you shoot yourself in the hand? Hmm. You know, because they didn't—they didn't say finger. They said hand. And I feel like mm. if they shot himself in the finger, they would have said finger. Because I feel like yeah. hand means palm. Like, <laughs> and, yeah, pretty and much. You got to be working extremely hard to accidentally shoot yourself in the palm. Like, mm -hmm. how do you do that? And then I started thinking, Mike, I think he might have done it on purpose, you know? I think ah. I think it was sort of like back in the day when people shot themselves in the foot not to go to Vietnam. This dude was like, you know what's better than serving orange chicken for the next three hours? Wow. You know? I'm, I did not know that. That was the thing? They yeah. shot themselves in the foot? I mean, it wasn't super popular, but every now and then it would happen. 
they would create wow. some kind of serious injury so they didn't have to go to Vietnam. Uh, in, oh, wow. In fact, now I might have to f uh, check, uh, uh, fact check myself on this. I'm going to write this down. This is going to be a follow-up for next, uh, next week. But I'm pretty sure one of the Almond Brothers... Uh, from the Almond Brothers band to get out of going to uh, um, um, Vietnam, Greg Almond, not or, or Dwayne Almond, sorry, uh, the one that uh, died earlier. Greg Almond died just uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Dwayne hmm. Almond, they had a party for him, uh, shoot Dwayne in the foot party, uh, and like the whole idea was like uh, he's going to get super wasted. We're going to shoot him in the foot. He's not going to have to go to Vietnam. Uh, and I don't think it actually panned out. Something else happened, so they didn't end up shooting him in the foot. But there was like a whole party surrounding it. Hmm. hmm. I'm, wow. I'm going to look into it. I may that have just so made wild. everything up in that story. But for some reason, that's, that's, story. that's locked in my <laughs> head. So don't quote me on it yet, listeners. I'm going to look it up, and then we'll, we'll follow up. Okay? Uh, okay, Mike, uh, next story <laughs> from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had an yeah. interesting break-in. So a house in the Santa Fe area was broken into by uh, Terrell Chris Christensen. Terrell Christensen. Terrell Christensen broke a window and entered the house, and when he entered the house, he was carrying a duffel bag and an AR-15. Word. He uh, mm. went into the kitchen ate some shrimp, and drank some beer, and then took a bath. Hmm. Then he put $200 down beside the window he had broken. The homeowners returned to their house and found Christensen in their house with his duffel bag and AR-15. The news report says the homeowners reported, reportedly told the police the burglar was extremely embarrassed and apologetic when they confronted him. Wait, what? And the burglar let them know he left $200 in their living room to cover the window. <laughs> so uh, he was arrested the next day. Terrell Christensen was arrested the next day. Um, and I don't really know which part to address about this story first, Mike, because there's there's several. Um, first, why did this guy need to break into the house if he had $200? Hmm. You, I don't know. You know? Like, if you have to... I mean, everything he did, you could do in a cheap hotel. So true. And you could definitely yeah. get a hotel room for cheaper than $200, which means for sure. you could have more shrimp and potentially better shrimp and better beer. I'm just, you know? Like, yeah, but it's like at a house, though. It's just more special. It's more I get, I get, may, may, I, he's got Maybe a, he saw the house, yeah, and was just really captivated he, by it. And was like, I really want to go in and enjoy that house. He's got a B&E <laughs> fetish. I could see that, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Second, these homeowners confronted a man with an AR-15 that entered their home? Excuse me, sir. Yeah, like... Wake up. Yeah, like... Sorry I, to disturb. I, I don't know, Mike. I have a firm rule. Any person that has an AR-15 is in a and is in a place you don't expect them, you don't confront that person. Nope. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's a firm rule of mine. My rule in that situation is you turn and go the other direction as fast as you can. Yeah. That's yep. uh, <laughs> I just really walk up like you said. Excuse me, sir. Uh, what are you doing in our house? Excuse me. You seem to have a <laughs> rifle. What's that all Do you about? Have a gun there. Like no, no, Mike. The answer is no. So true. Uh, Mike, real quick before we go to break, what do you want to hear? I've got three options for you: truck driver story, Home Depot story, uh, old pub story. Hmm. Old pub story. Okay. It's a pretty good one. I was going to save this one for after the break, but it's pretty good. Uh, I've got some sad news from across the pond, Mike. England's oldest pub is closing its doors. Oh, no. Ye old fighting cocks. Uh, Ah, I've heard about that place. Ye old fighting cocks, which is located in St. Albans, has decided it needs to close close its doors due to difficulties uh, staying open during COVID. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Christo Tafali, who is the uh, current manager, said that the pub's current owner, uh, the M and B Group, they're trying to decide what the best steps forward are. Now, the good news, Mike, is they don't uh, pl- plan on uh, closing for good. Nope. They're just strategizing how to keep it open. They're they're finding the best strategic plan. Now, Mike, this being the oldest pub in England, take a stab at how old this pub is. What do you think? When did this I'm pub say f- open? Five hundred years ago. This pub opened. Maybe in the this pub opened in the year seven ninety three. Jeez. Wow. 793. This pub has been open for literally almost a thousand years before the United States. A thousand years. A thousand years before the United States was even a country. Like, what? What? Like, not an exaggeration. 30 generations of a family could have been going to this bar. 30 generations. Like, you could be like, oh, yeah, my granddad to the fifth power used to drink at this pub. Girl, come on! Like, what? It's insane. That is one old pub, man. That's an old place. You know how many drunks have been through that pub? A lot. A A lot lot of drunks have, have wasted their life in the ye old fighting cocks. Such a good name, too. Good <laughs> Doc name. G, so, wait, what's, how old is this pub? I'm not doing the math here. I'm not doing the math. Well, How, how old? 793? Uh, 1,229 1, years old. Man. Yeah. They're not closing that place down. But I don't know. A, 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 something called M&B Group. I don't trust... Uh, a pub in the hands of some of a corporation or a company. Well, it is. Know. It is M and B stands for just two dudes' names. So that is, you know. Yeah. They shortened it to just two dudes' names, but I trust him. I trust him. It'll, okay. Ye, right. ye old fighting cocks will come back. I trust it. Yeah, they're not going. Anywhere. You can't close it down after this. No, there would be there would be riots in the streets. There have been so many other pandemics and plagues and stuff since. Well, that was the thing. You know, they literally come survived on. like the Black Plague. So true. Like, come <laughs> on, like uh, the actual plague. They were sitting in yeah. there like, hey guys, this is bad. My arm just fell off. Ah, it's fine. <laughs> Keep drinking. 
This your eyes bleeding. Yeah, it's good. Don't worry <laughs> about it. It's just the Ebola. It's cool. Keep going. <laughs> oh, ye old fighting cocks, we can't wait for you to be back. Uh, okay, Mike, we're going to take a break. We are going to hear from our guest. This is none other than Sonny Smith off of his newest album, Ring My Bell, right here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, do yourself a favor. Go out there, subscribe to the show. You know what? And write us a review. Write us a five-star review Mm -hmm. about how great our soup is. And Mm -hmm. how if somebody is grieving, you know what the best thing for their grievement is? Listening to the Doc G Show. (laughs) Nothing makes you feel better than hearing worthless stories about ye old fighting cocks and celebrating Joe Pesci's birthday. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Am I right? It's the best. Very therapeutic. Very, very therapeutic. It's like going to a counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike, we need to thank the regulars who have their therapy once a week with us. Of course. That's That's the regulars. Here we go. 
Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Ashburn, Virginia, San Diego, California, Piracai, Brazil, Dublin, Ireland, Katy, Texas, Boardman, Oregon, Frankfurt, Germany, Barcelona, Spain, Peoria, Illinois, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Genoa, Italy, Richardson, Texas, Anoka, Minnesota, and Winfield, West Virginia. Shout out. There we go. Regulars. Nice. Regulars. Love those internationals. So true. I'm looking mm-hmm. for another spot, guys. Moscow could get up there. They they're they're pretty regular, semi regulars. I think we could if you get a little bit more regular, guys, we can put you in there. Also, mm-hmm. uh, Ontario, Canada, they're pretty semi regular regulars. I'd like to have you guys up there. Just saying, just saying. Okay, Mike, semi regulars. Shout out to Biloxi, Mississippi, San Francisco, California, Doha, Qatar, uh, Tom's River, New Jersey, Beaumont, Texas, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Welch, West Virginia, Miami, Florida, Woodstock, Georgia, Portland, Oregon, Houston, Texas, Providence, Rhode Island, Barnsley, United Kingdom, and Chicago, Illinois. There we go. Semi-rate. There we go. Yes. Yes, all, all the folks. All the folks. Thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it. Mike, it's time for a little update on one of your favorites previously on the Doc G Show. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Previously on the Doc G Show. Mike, Love it. this was a, a follow-up specifically for you. Last week, you uh, you were curious. You had a story, sort of like my Dwayne Almond story, that you were like, I think this was a thing. I think I remember this. You said Shakira went to college in a disguise. And you mm-hmm. were correct, yeah, Mike. I remember that. You ah. were correct. So yes. Shakira went in 2007 to UCLA to take a summer class in history. That's what she did. Now, Hmm. she didn't go full-on disguise. Uh, Some of the uh, media outlets really played it up, and they just said she went in disguise. But her disguise was a baseball cap and a big backpack. Word. That was her disguise. Yeah. That's literally what she said. So, like, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, I feel like if I was trying hard to find Shakira, I think I could do that. Like, that's weaker than a Where's Waldo disguise. Like, it's not <laughs> yeah. It's not really that hard. And she said, like, the, then her other thing was she said she went by her middle name to not be discovered. She went by hmm. Isabel instead of Shakira. And I was like, again, eh, all right. But apparently some folks did ask her in the class, like, what's your name? Like, you know, sort of on on to her. And she's like, Isabel. And they're like, oh, couldn't be Shakira. She said her name's Isabel. All right, moving on. <laughs> so anyways, she's learned in history thanks to UCLA in that yeah. summer. You were correct, Mike. There you go. There you go. There we go. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I got a little bit lazy. I didn't look up any of our other follow-ups. But I can promise you next week, listeners, I will have a story about Dwayne Amon. That will happen. That will. <laughs> uh, I'll either have a story that I completely made it up or uh, it's a true thing. So there you nice. go. Now, Mike. I'm excited. I've got a couple of leftover stories. 
Um, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the Home Depot story, and I'm gonna give you uh, a quick one about a Valentine's gift. So. Here we go. Home Depot story, Mike. This really caught my attention. A uh, lady uh, who worked at Home Depot uh, in Arizona is uh, currently facing federal charges. Jeez. So apparently over the past four years, Adrian, who works predominantly in the Home Depot vault, preparing Mm. deposits for the bank, has apparently switched out money for counterfeit money for the last four years. So wow. agents said that Adrian is accused of ordering counterfeit bills from Amazon and then swapping that with money she had taken from the store cash registers uh, and then transferring that counterfeit money mixed in with the regular money to the bank. Hmm. And the uh, agents uh, recorded roughly... $400,000 that had been exchanged during that time that was counterfeit. Wow. Yeah. Now, Mike, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I had like 20 questions that popped up in my head while reading this. <laughs> First, it took folks four years to catch on to this scheme. Hmm. Four years? Like, I mean, I know you got to take some time to like build a case, but this seems like a pretty simple case. Like, don't you figure somebody in the first year at the bank would have been like, hey, anybody else notice that whenever we get a Home Depot deposit, like half the money is blue Monopoly dollar bills? That's that's sort of weird, right? We can't accept those, can we? Like, don't you like, I mean, it's a little weird. Second, when you're cooking this scheme up, if you're Adrian, at some point in your head are you like, hmm, you know, the bank ever starts looking into a, where these counterbit bills are coming from, they're probably only going to come to one person. Probably only going to be looking at me. Like, there's not really... You don't have a way of fading into the background with this scheme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not really... There's not a good out, Adrian. Like, come on now. Nah. Third. You're the only one. Should Amazon be selling counterfeit money? Like, did that seem yes. weird to anybody else? Like, No, it's a free country. Print money. Seems like one of those <laughs> things that's a pretty big no-brainer. Like, uh, hey, just at our next meeting, maybe we should uh, propose the idea of not selling fake money or heroin on our store. <laughs> Both of those. It's movie props. Girl, come on. Uh, it's negatively associated with our brand. But uh, anyways... Adrian's got a lot to deal with now, uh, apparently. So uh, rough, rough on Adrian. Um, I think Home Depot will survive. Um, Mike, got another story. This one just in times for Valentine's Day. It's good news. Great news. That's good. I've got a gift for you to give to your significant other. How about an erotic adult teddy bear? Sweet. Yes. I knew you'd be That sounds in. good. Yes, I knew you'd love yeah. it, Mike. I'm down. The folks at Build-A-Bear Workshop were like, we, Oh, no. We know Mike. <laughs> Mike wants an erotic teddy bear. And they heard you wow. loud and clear, and they have released their, quote, 
After Dark series teddy bears. Oh my Google. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can build a bear for your significant other that shows your desire to get your freak on. Yeah. After yeah. And I think we can agree, Mike. That's the intended purpose for all teddy bears. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> like, I, Mike, have you Googled it? Are you looking at these uh, weird, yeah. freaky teddy not, bears? Not what I imagine. <laughs> not what I imagine. Are you looking at the um, one that's like a lion with a robe on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, you're like, this is pervy in, in a real weird way. It's, it's the Burt Reynolds pose. It is. With, it's uh, the Burt Reynolds the on the bear rug. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like I thought oh, yeah. I thought about it, Mike. I guarantee if we interviewed all of these teddy bears that get made for the After Dark series after a year of being purchased, they'd sound like a pri uh, a private that got drafted into the Vietnam War. Like <laughs> I've seen some things, man. I've seen that I the I've seen things no teddy bear should have seen. <laughs> when I go to sleep at night, I still hear their screams. Ew. Doesn't matter how many times you see it, and nothing prepares you for it. It's gross. <laughs> I can't wash the stains off me. Ew. They're on me for life. It's disgusting. Like just <laughs> yikes. Yikes. That's bad. Wait, don't talk to the rubber ducky. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, Mike. Uh, moving on from that disturbing story, Mike, one other thing, real quick, some straight up Hollywood goss right here, Mike, a little Hollywood oh. gossip. Uh, you've heard that Rihanna is pregnant, right, Mike? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. First day. Now, now Rihanna is pregnant with Aesop, uh, Rocky's kid there. Oh, mm -hmm. ASAP there. Now, apparently yeah. this was upsetting to one individual. This was very Drake? yes, yes, Mike. Have you heard this? He is un no. Just Drake's always upset. Well, he has unfollowed both of them <laughs> on Instagram. Ah! Uh. Instantly, when they release their picture of pregnancy, he unfollowed both of them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I've got to re respond, and I mean this with all respect. To champagne poppy. That's a fact. Really? <laughs> like, do you care that much? Really, Drake? Like, you've got millions of dollars. You get to go to Raptors games when the rest of the stadium is empty and walk on the court in the middle of the game. Like, mm -hmm. and you're getting all emotional about Rihanna being pregnant? Like... What? I'm Doctor, come on. I, Do you listen to Drake's music? I'm surprised. He's got feelings. He does. He, he definitely. <laughs> but I'm surprised I'm saying this to a 35-year-old man. Just give it like two years, Drake. So true. Give it like two years, and I'm sure you'll be a lot happier with your decision and their decision and not being a part of it. You'll, you'll <laughs> look at them and go, whew. Thank God I wasn't involved with that. Thank you. That's... Yeah. Ah, man. I'm glad I'm Drake and not them. Like, come on, Drake. Girl, come on. Come on. But I will give Drake credit this. I After I saw this in the news, 
I will give credit that Drake follows like 2,000 people. Sweet. Like he follows like 2,000 people on Instagram. You That's know? a good amount. Yeah. yeah. Unlike as I've gone on a tirade several times on the show, unlike Beyonce and Taylor Swift, who follow zero people. Blam. Zero. Mm. Blam. Drake follows 2,000. So you know what? He can drop a couple. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. I'll let him do that. You know what? Right now, I'm going to... Hold on just a second. I'm going to tell you just a couple of people that uh, that Drake follows. Let me just bring this up real quick. I'll tell you a couple of the folks that Drake does follow. <laughs> he follows 2,600 people, actually. 2,659 wow. people. Uh, Drake follows... Uh, a, a bunch of people I've never heard of before. He follows Jack Joseph. You know Jack Joseph? I don't. But Drake follows no. him. He follows Shannon Abla. You know Shannon Abla? He follows no. him. Yeah. He, uh, he follows uh, Texas B-Works. Sweet. Texas B-Works. Drake gets Instagram hmm. feed notifications about a beekeeper. That's right. Ah, interesting. That beekeeper's got to feel good, man. That beekeeper has 785,000 followers, and one of them is Drake. She tells mm -hmm. other people, hey, guess who follows me? Drake. That's a fact. He cares about my beekeeping. <laughs> like... She's a pretty attractive beekeeper too. I'll give her that. So mm. you know, that's let's be honest. Drake's a Texas Bee Works. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, she is. Yeah, and you know, uh, Drake's a bit of a he's a bit of a horn dog. So it's uh you know <laughs> it could be that reason. But Drake follows all he follows Supercar Blondie, mm. which uh, every now and then I'll watch one of her posts. I don't know if you know about Supercar Blondie. She uh, all the time. Uh, looks at these really nice cars that's what she does and uh, she happens to be attractive too so that could be uh mm. that could be a reason why he follows her as well but still i'm just saying you know drake's out there following 2700 people almost good for drake good for yeah drake don't let we it we need to get a follow we need to get a follow drake, from drake follow the doc g show you can be right there with pops po boys okay who they follow you by the way too. That's nice of Pops Po Boys, you know? They get out there. Yeah. Pops Po Boys follows some folks. Anyways, we are gonna take a break. We are gonna be right back with none other than Sonny Smith right here on the Doc G show. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. The Doc G Show, because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we are lucky to have singer, songwriter, and all-around artist Mr. Sonny Smith on the show with us today. Sonny, how's everything going? Things are good. Things are good today. Yes. How is uh, how's San Francisco? It's cold here in the South. How is it in San Francisco? Yeah, it's been kind of cold, too. Yeah, it's a little little dreary here. Uh, not not our best weather in Florida. Um, but big question: Are you working on any dogs today? Hmm. <laughs> I am. I'm always working on dogs these days because the the orders won't stop. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a very popular project. When did you start? Like, I I know this was during the pandemic, but how how did it start? During the pandemic, yeah, I, I remember at the heart of like the the earliest pandemic when we were all actually at home, yeah, no matter what, yeah, yeah, we were just going stir crazy. So I started making some little dog heads out of uh, clay, just the kind of clay that you know just air dries. Yeah, just really no, no intention of doing anything. And then um, I put it on Instagram and I said I would do somebody's dog if they if they wanted and i got like i don't know 20 people and so <laughs> i was kind of like well maybe i should charge you yeah. know 15 or something like that at least and then i got kind of better at it and uh i raised my prices to like a 100 bucks and then and <laughs> now they're 400 and i i got much better at it and uh i started i bought a kiln and uh I had to kind of take a ceramics crash course and know what the <laughs> doing, and um, and now I have or- orders and and like a, a little d- database where I keep track of people's addresses and stuff. But I I actually had to I kind of had to slow down and tell people that it might be you know six to eight months before they got their dog because I basically wasn't able to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 insane. Like I was looking at your you know I was looking at the Instagram and just like the amount of people that I was like, good lord, everybody wants their their dog in in clay form. They want Sunny to make their dog. Uh, I mean. I'm guessing when you first put that out there, like you said on Instagram, you weren't expecting that kind of response as far as uh, uh, dog no. orders. No, I mean it makes sense now because people love their dogs. Yeah, they love their they love their dogs. And then I've had a couple requests from people with cats, and I'm like, no, I'm not even going to get into the cat world. <laughs> cat cat owners are are five times crazier than dog owners. About. Usually, yes, yes, that is true. I will attest to that, knowing many cat owners. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a crazy group. It's a crazy group. Uh, but I mean, you know, it does it does seem you. It's interesting. It seems sort of like your clay dogs. It's like a. It's like a caricature of their dog because it's not like it's not like the super realistic like oh my god it's like the dog's right there but you capture all sort of the the mannerisms the characteristics of it in in that yeah in that dog it's very cool um i hope so i heard you i heard you talking earlier in an interview about having to like raise your prices after you realize like oh good lord i'm gonna be inundated with dogs forever this is gonna be now now a couple times i was like a couple times i felt a little bad i was like should i am i still a songwriter um (laughs) should i just do people's am i just a dog portraitist that's um to be a that could yeah, it'd be a weird right turn for you. That definitely, 
<laughs> be a be a weird one. Um, now I I've spent I've I've uh, I've I've gone to San Francisco several several times, been in the city for different things, and I always love to ask artists, you know, obviously from a state that I am not from, if I am coming to San Francisco, uh, and I call you up and I say, Sonny, I'm in San Francisco. I've got one night to eat. Where are you telling me to eat? Being a guy that's lived in the area for so long. What's uh what's your what's your go to? If I need a San Francisco treat, where are you telling me to eat? I know the answer now. Okay. Um, there's it's this restaurant called the Rich Table. The Rich Table. And, yeah. I don't I think it's called the Rich Table because the, the last name of the owners is Rich. Mm, okay. But, uh, it's like I I never really was very like a foodie person. Mm-hmm. I just lived forever like this burrito will do you know <laughs> and um but when i met my um now fiance she was like one of those real san francisco people that knows yeah. all the restaurants yeah so i learned a little bit about cuisine but um the rich table is so delicious nice incredible what type Every of food? Time I, I don't even know they just <laughs> american i guess yeah okay <laughs> It's one of those restaurants that just has uh, like sort of all these different little treats that they keep bringing to your table, like uh, and um, and you start having like a palate explosion. Yeah, and you're, you're like this is blowing my mind. It's an experience. Um, yeah, yeah. What's the so best thing you've had there? Well, they have these sardine chips where they take like homemade potato chips and they insert a sardine like through yeah. it, kind of. Wow. And then uh, you dip it in like some sort of creme fresh type yeah. dive thing and uh it's wow. like yeah that's yeah that's unique that's a, a sardine yeah. chip i gotta all yeah. right all right rich table. Yeah, no, no. trust me just trust trust me oh don't worry i'm i'm on board if somebody if somebody endorses a uh item i'm gonna give it at least a, a fair shot you know i'm gonna yeah. give it a shot well, now that I've got my important food question out of the way, now I've got it on the list. Next time I'm in San Francisco, I'm going. Uh, let's 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 talk about your most recent album. Uh, aside from the dogs, there of course the the main the main focus. Uh, new day with new possibilities. Uh, I heard you talk about this, you know, a little bit, you know, on like inspirations and everything. And before I get to the inspirations, I got to ask, I've noticed, and, and I've heard you talk about this as well, the difference between a Sonny Smith album and the Sonny and the Sunset album. What's the determination? How does it, how does it become one? Because it doesn't seem like it's a purely who's based, uh, who's playing on the album. How do you determine which, you know, what, what title they're going to go under? Well, I've lost the plot. So I don't know anymore. I don't know. It's off. And I, I, I remember when there was a difference. Yeah. And um, I, at the time, I was kind of like, well, Sonny and the Sunsets has got more of a, a band feel. And Sonny Smith will be, you know, sort of heavily introspective, really much more personal yeah. songs or something. And I, I thought that that's how that should, that would be the delineation. But at some point... It just got all dissolved and messed up and screwed up, and I, I let it be. I was like, "Well, you know what? I'm gonna just um, not try to compartmentalize things anymore, and not try to define things before they're made, and and 
just whatever you know, happens. 20, 25 years later, if somebody wants to pick through and figure me out, you know, um, they can, or I can look back and go, you know, have some understanding. But in the present time, I'm going to stop um, trying to to assign things to different aspects and 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 be less controlling of that. that kind nice. Of thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, the 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 new album, uh, new pos, uh, new day with new possibilities. Uh, it seems very country. I mean, it's it's a it's a very country inspired album. And I heard you were, uh, you know, going back to sort of Louis Amore uh, stories uh, yeah. of the past and, and Willie Nelson. Um, yeah. How, how did this album come about? I mean, this was a pandemic recording i hear uh yes. what how, how did you get inspired and say you know this album's gonna be made well uh, in kind of connected to the last answer the way that the albums kind of get made for me mm -hmm. is and I, i'm curious if other artists have this same experience but yeah you, fi you find yourself writing you know, three songs, three or four songs. You just, you're, you're working on some new songs. Mm -hmm. You're not really thinking, thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about albums or, or career or touring or whatever. You're just, you just, you, you, right. know, you had an idea to, to write a song and you wrote it down Yeah. and you recorded it on your iPhone or whatever you, whatever you do. And, um, and you write a couple more and, and it isn't until you've kind of written four or five that you, that you can kind of stand back and go, Oh, this is, what I'm writing right now, you know, like this, this is what's coming out. Yeah. So, so then, then once you kind of have a little bit of conscious clarity of, of what you're making, mm -hmm. then, then you can add a little intention, mm -hmm. um, to the, to the next songs. So yeah. for an album like this, and this has happened in most albums for me is the first four or five songs. I was like, Oh, I'm kind of writing some country songs. Mm -hmm. You know, they came out, I've always, I've made a country record before, I've made country-ish, folk-ish kind of stuff all along, so yeah. it's not like I set out to do something that was not in my natural you know, yeah. wheelhouse. And then after four or five songs, I was like, I, I see what I'm kind of got going on. And then I then I gave a little more intention, conscious intention, I was like, well, maybe I'll try to, you know, countryfy this next one a little bit more, mm -hmm. a little bit more. And then, then you get to the the stage where you're going to go record it and it's really up to you how much you want to sort of go towards that um sound like right yeah you know what uh, 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 this is a country song but i i can play it like a like the kinks and it won't really sound country or i can kind of like get a pedal steel player in here and you know really make it, it up yeah yeah so there is a point where there's a conscious decision but it, it, it it's later in the ball game for me little bit of anal post analysis and then you, you trend towards that topic yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of how i i tend to make most records nice i don't really know what's happening until about midway midway through and then i can apply a little bit of uh, intention you know now did you actually go back because you know i i heard those specific references as far as louis moore and, and willie nelson like did you go back and actually listen to those things and read those things to like get inspired or were you just thinking back like yeah that's what that's what it sounds like I, that's what i'm going for no see so yeah that's like uh the um i was when i was writing those songs i was reading a bunch of louis lamore books gotcha. i just 
I, I read Louis L'Amour books when I was like 16. Oh, yeah. And I just sort of dipped into him again for some reason. I was kind of in a mood, you know, just to read his books again and particularly like uh, the Sackett stories. And, mm -hmm. um, and I was just loving it. And so that's why probably, you know, without consciously trying to um, be influenced by him, I was like, wrote a couple songs, you know, corral all of a sudden ends up in your <laughs> lyrics or, yeah. you know, or um, something like that. And, and so I was definitely being influenced by what I was reading, but I wasn't, um, it wasn't intentional until after the fact. And then Willie Nelson, I mean, I kind of never stopped listening to a few, a few people. Yeah. And he's kind of always in the, he always makes it in the queue, so to speak. Yeah. And um, Waylon Jennings is like that too. And Towns Van Sant. And, you know, there's a few heroes that just seem to always be in circulation a little bit. Yeah. When I, when I go back to Redheaded Stranger, like, uh, I, I just feel like it doesn't get talked enough about his, how beautiful his singing is on that uh, album. Like, I mean, he's just so, so control of his voice and it's just so good. And it just, I mean. Um, yeah. And it's so understated too. So, yeah. uh, you know, he almost sounds like he's talking, but he's, yeah, but he's, he's singing. You yeah. Know, it's just very. Well, and like for me, I don't know. I, I, I obviously it's it's who you are and what you're used to. But like when I try to sing along with it, it's so unnatural to me to keep his patterns and tones. Like it's just it, it's it's so jazzy in the way that his voice comes out that it's uh yeah yeah. I I don't know if you've ever heard of the the group Jamestown Revival. I think so, but uh, remind me. They're they're, they're they're a duo from uh, from Austin. They're sort of a, a folk. Uh, they do a lot of harmonies together. But the huh. the reason I brought them up is uh, they actually came out with an EP in twenty twenty one called Fireside with Louis Amor. And they oh. every song they did, they actually you know intentionally. So their their creation process, you know, they went out and read a story. And then tried to make basically a song based off of that story, and so oh, I gotta hear that. that yeah, that should be good. It was very, it was very cool because I went along with like I, you know, listened to the EP. Well, actually, I read the stories and then listened to their their songs afterwards. And yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely cool. Obviously, intentionally written in there, but uh, it's cool to hear them put in different lyrics and words of Louis in the st song and how they sort of interpreted just the overall uh feeling of different stories but uh oh, man amazing it's it's amazing how Louis has uh uh worked his way into so many people's art of different uh different types i don't doubt it there is also a, there's an out of print cd i think it's a cd mm -hmm. with willie nelson and maybe a couple other, maybe Waylon, um, you know, t telling his Louis L'Amour stories, like an oh. audio book from, from the 80s. Wow. That I only saw online and I do not have. But so they're all, it's all connected. Yeah. I have to go digging for that. Who um, knows? I mean, he might have been listening to it when he wrote Redheaded Stranger. It's all very pulling from the same. Oh, mythos, definitely. You know? 
Definitely. I <clears throat> feel like somebody that yeah. has that has to be in an interview somewhere. Willie's had to have talked yeah. about that somewhere. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you you mentioned this. You recorded this though. This was like height of the pandemic when you were recording this, right? Yeah. How? I mean, obviously that had to feel different than normal recordings. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, the, the record is. Um, let's see. How how did it? How did how did I do it? It was a. Uh, I was making the songs myself in a little studio room. Mm. It was very. Um, in a nice kind of sagebrushy hillside kind of place that looked sort of like a Louis L'Amour story. So yeah. um, <clears throat> I was um, already in a sort of a zone of, of, of kind of personal songs that weren't requiring other people. And there's a couple songs that are just like that. There was one called just hanging out by myself and um, things like that. So mm -hmm. Then I have a friend who's really my go-to multi-instrumentalist who's been on so many of my records. And um, I'll call him and we'll kind of flesh a song out. And we we did it, be, I think, with like social distance, you know, just kind of hanging out on opposite sides of the room. And then with him, I can kind of get the drums and the bass and, and the guitars down. And then it's just me singing. So it was a very small personnel kind of record to make it wasn't like going into a recording studio with engineers and yeah and people around and, and partying and having fun and socializing it was like a very very personalized thing and then the pedal steel player who's a older guy you know of course this was really at the height of fear that an older person could get COVID and just drop it dead you yeah. know and um so he allowed me to come record him at his house but it was like we were on opposite sides of his living room and I had gloves on, you know, and it's like I was just taking all and masks and yeah. I was just taking all precautions because I didn't want to be that guy that yeah. got him sick <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So it felt very like making a record during a pandemic, I guess. You yeah. know, I just, now I feel like people get, they get vaccinated or they get boosted and then they hang out with each other, and, you know. And a lot more them. relaxed, yeah. 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 People taking a little more chances, maybe, and Would, did, yeah, for better or worse. But. Do Do you listen to the? Do you listen? To, have you listened to the songs from the album since then? Does it seem Does it seem removed? Does it seem? Do you still have that same feel when you listen to the songs? If you have listened to them since you released yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few of them. Yeah. And they're all they're all a little bit about you know like all those Louis and more books for. Or at least the second ones were they're all loners you yeah know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> a lot of the songs i mean there's one called about loner man and lonely man and there's one about hanging out by myself yeah there's it's all it's all in there it's not like i'm trying to hit anybody over the head with it but it's all going to be infused into the record all that, that era and that time and yeah i was listening to new day with new possibilities and i was thinking about your inspirations and I was sort of comparing it to the various albums, and I was going back and I was looking at like other albums you talked about and the inspirations you had, and it was just making me think of how much like an actual artist you are. It just seems like different from other musicians that I talk to. The fact that you do what sort of motivates you, 
in in sort of its earnest that you do something, you know, you you decide to make a dog head out of clay and you go for it, or you do you know you do this album and this is what's inspiring at your time. And I feel like there are so many musicians trying to portray what you actually do. Like, I feel like there are musicians out there that try to act like that, but they're actually just trying to do what will make them popular. Do you ever feel like that's around you? Like, those artists are around you? Do you sniff those out? Do you see those people around you? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's part of the course. And, I, and, I, and I've detected it in myself before, too, and then, and then been kind of repulsed, you know, too. So yeah. you have to, you know, we're all capable of um, our mind kind of taking over and, mm -hmm. and doing the things that we think we should do or things that we think other people will like yeah um, and you have to kind of you have to sort of be on guard against that yeah. ego stuff i think maybe particularly with young people sometimes in their first bands they really emulate whatever is kind of hip with the rest of their friends and, yeah. and it seems i think it's in it starts innocently and then all of a sudden you you walk into a club and everybody sounds like some <laughs> something from 1996 you know all yeah. at the same time and mm -hmm. you're like okay guys just break it up you know <laughs> yeah you guys need to separate and not see each other for a couple of years i think that's also part of a, a training that people go through where they sort of are haven't quite found their own personality yet and trusted it fully. Yeah, yeah. Even I kind of remember reading some quote of, of Miles Davis where he was like, you don't really have your own self or sound until you're you know, past 40 or something. And I always thought, yeah, that's got to be real. It's got to be true. You know, I mean, there's exceptions and stuff, but it yeah. takes a while to, to sort of be fully trust your own instincts at all times and, and be off on your own you yeah. know, branch and, <clears throat> separate yourself from what you think is cool or what you think is going to be accepted and work i hear that a lot with people's voices too i think you oh, hear yeah. a lot of voice inflections mm. vocal inflections okay i don't think they tr fully trust their own how they how they sound when they talk yeah it should be kind of how they sound when they sing yeah you know but uh But you, you hear somebody talk, and then you hear them sing, and their singing is like has an accent. <laughs> you hear like, Diff, yeah. okay, mm -hmm. something something hasn't been fully embraced internally yet. Yeah, um, it does. You, you, your natural voice actually may not sound like the, your heroes, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's you got you, you to shift through the inspirations and shift through the experiences yeah. to get to the real the real you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do see that. I see it in myself a lot, too. You know? I, I think it's always a struggle. Well, I mean, speaking of, you know, uh, art, you know, artistic drive and what, what you've done, uh, I mean, something that you did several years ago, as far as that goes, was really cool, where you did the, the 100 record project. You invited 100 artists to produce artwork for record covers of fictional bands, And then you essentially came up with uh, the fake band recordings uh, of of, yeah. of the the songs, and that just seems so fun. Was that? I mean, did you start that project? Was that just because of how big artwork or album artwork used to be to you as a fan of music? Well, that's another one where the true um, origin story 
so to speak, of a project was not intentional, and you and you're you're making it before you know what you're making, and it <laughs> takes a little while before you can kind of see it for yeah. what it is, and then and then and then add on. So that particular project actually was a I was actually writing I was attempting to write a novel, mm. and uh, <clears throat> and I was basing a lot of the characters on musician buddies. Yeah, giving him little, little, little fake names, kind of like in the Kerouac tradition, where he's he's yeah. writing about his friends and he gives them a little, you know, slightly little. changed name, mm -hmm. and it's all kind of charming. And and I I got through like the second draft. I mean, I was pretty rolling there, and and, and I remember actually reading it and being like, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I don't think I'm, this is very good. But what I started doing, I was like, you know, it'd be cool if in this book. There was since all of the characters are you know musicians and make records. If I had some fake record pictures of their records, you know, yeah. that went in the book. Yeah. And so I set out just to make a few drawings of fake records mm -hmm. of these fictional musicians, and from there that became so much more fun. So this like this this sort of subpar novel <laughs> kind of ended up being like a junkyard that I could just pull. Yeah. pieces from for this project and then with a couple artists that i i was around at the time when i gave them sort of like hey you want to make the cover for this and they did being you know being painters they did something way better than i did <laughs> i was like wow this is this is real this is real you know this, yeah this, i would i would buy, i would buy this in a record store like this record cover looks good yeah and and it sort of challenged me to go well, why don't i really write a, a song that goes with this fake artist as best i can you know like yeah. uh, really have it be recorded with musicians and take the time and and get maybe even guest singers to to sort of fulfill it and um it, it, it wasn't a conscious idea from the beginning it, it's it really had a slow build and yeah. then it, and then and again once i was some percentage in i was like okay i know what i'm making now and then you're really then you're really kind of cruising. You're yeah. Like, I know. How long? And, how long did it take to record all the the fake band songs? Oh, I don't remember. I was couple, it, the project was probably a two year project in the end. Yeah. Um, took over my life, and <laughs> I was kind of you know one of those things where you're just hanging on, and and it was really fulfilling, and 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 you know weird real bands came out of the fake bands, so that was it was it went beyond my imagination i didn't think that you know earth girl helen brown would become her own band yeah and come out and, and have like eight records herself and, yeah um, there was a couple others that sort of had small little lifespans for a second there and it was it was neat i mean i i've always wanted to do it another hundred but the stupid dogs came up <laughs> <laughs> taking over yeah. Well, like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing when you were growing up uh, uh, looking at, al I'm guessing album artwork played a pretty huge role, like, I mean, in sort of getting immersed into different bands when you went into the record store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still think it's like that. You, you, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you kind of do a little bit, right? Oh, you're sure. like, this, this looks amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I worked at a record store when i was in high school and stuff so there was a lot of years before even being an artist where i was just records were you know just flowing through my uh, possession and it must have all mattered i mean <laughs> i i always ironically i'm not really a huge record collector now as an adult 
I, I, I don't know why. I think it just got too hard. <laughs> <laughs> too much to keep up with. It is. I, I mean, it is. I will say, with actual vinyls, it's it's a it's it's a pain to make sure they stay clean and not scratch. Like that's a. It's just. Yeah. It's such a such a deal and then you go back and like one of them you didn't you didn't put in you know uh, seal it enough in there and so the next time you come you got all kinds of pops and cracks and you gotta i mean it's yeah you know it's uh yeah it there's a lot of upkeep there's definitely a lot yeah. of upkeep uh, and i never was yeah my records are thrashed i was never very good at being um i wasn't like an audiophile who you know kept these things precious i my records are just they got wine stains and you know they're all probably a cat probably shredded half the yeah who knows <laughs> but honestly like that's the thing is it's so much easier if you're an audiophile to to go with with cds just because i mean it's it's harder i mean you can obviously scratch cds up but it's it's just it's easier to keep them in the case and easier to keep them keep them clean but nobody it's it's not a it's not a hip cool thing i'm sure it will be in like 30 years to have a giant cd vault but uh but yeah i think lps just have, have a tactical kind of uh appeal that cds never did maybe you can go just on it just just the size of it I yeah think. i was about to say you can go on an there. adventure with that big you can yeah. open it up you can feel it uh yeah. Yeah, I was I, that's what I was thinking about with your with the with the project, the Hundred Records project. I always thought back to Grateful Dead albums when I was like thirteen and like I would see the outside of it and I was like, Oh my god, that's so awesome. And then I'd actually so, listen to it and I was like, Oh wait, this doesn't correlate with a thirteen year old right now. I'm not feeling this. Now later <laughs> in life when I got older I thought it was cool, but uh you know, Casey Jones for a twelve year old, thirteen year old, it wasn't it wasn't the most rocking jam that I was feeling at the time, but uh, you know. <laughs> what were you into? What were you, what were you into when you were thirteen? Ah, uh, twelve, thirteen. I would say I was more into like you know the 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 grunge nineties stuff. Oh, nice. I, I was in a split. It was a weird dichotomy I lived in of of uh, like gangster rap and. 90s rock like there was this yeah. split of loving west coast you know dr dre snoop ice cube all of those guys and then loving like uh a little bit of the older like not the the first wave of like the of like nirvana and soundgarden a little bit older of like uh you know later on almost like offspring and green day and those so yeah, 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 I know. you know. Oh, that's a good, good use. <laughs> well, um, one other the 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 solo album that came after the Hundred Records that was a little bit different as well, just because it was produced by Dan Auerbach, who's obviously known for the Black Keys and his other production yeah. work. Uh, now, I heard when when someone like first told you that Dan Auerbach was playing your tunes in concert, you didn't really know too much about Dan. Like, it, that wasn't really in your wheelhouse. Were you, I mean, completely unfamiliar with him, or what happened? Yeah, I was, actually. You know, I have a lot of holes in my my music, uh, you know, what I know. Yeah. And particularly, uh, so somehow Black Keys just weren't in my 
like I remember listening to the White Stripes. Yeah, and I uh, and, and I I feel like they those two were sort of oh, boring yeah. stars or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I probably heard the Black Keys at bars and didn't know right quite what they who they were. But the reason that they were playing it actually once I um, sort of figured out where the bodies were buried was because <laughs> I had a friend who started out just as a as a mutual music fan, but Richard Swift, who was a producer, and he was in the Dan's, I think he joined the Black Keys on some tours, and maybe he was in, and he was in the other band that Dan had, the mm-hmm. Arts, and, yeah. and he was in the Shins, and I think he was the Johnny Appleseed of my songs, because the Shins <laughs> ended up covering some of my songs, and Dan was covering it and it was really richard swift who who uh i ended up being friends with and uh be- unfortunately he passed away a couple of years ago but um he that's how that ha- i think that's the evolution of that yeah how that happened with richard swift and um somehow i ended up being in touch with dan about making a record yeah i i was kind of like where does he live who- what does he want to do you know like i was just kind of um why does he care you know yeah he's he's rich and famous what do i have to do with yeah. anything of this you know so it yeah. took me a minute to be like oh he's an artist and he's a normal guy and he's got a studio and he wants to make cool shit. yeah things were out of focus for a minute there oh for sure well when you got to nashville and actually recorded that album how was how was that a different ex- experience than what you'd done in the past? Because I imagine it, it it would be just because of his sort of surroundings. Yeah, it was completely different in every way. I mean, I think it was it was prob it's probably more of a typical way that people make records yeah. who have large larger budgets and and are sort of in a more mainstream sort of uh, part of the industry. Like I make records bit by bit throughout the year i record here i record there it's a nice way for my year to have a project that i'm working on yeah it's a personal thing and i i know that a lot of artists out there have the same kind of experience that works for me and i love it and as soon as i get a couple songs i call my friends and i say yeah i want to record these songs and then bit by bit over the year or two it gets done with that scenario was like I flew to Nashville or, or actually I ended up taking a bus to Nashville from the end of my tour with two of my guys that I was touring with. Yeah. You know, you sort of went through this portal of this terrible mega bus experience <laughs> into his kind of, you know, nice, beautiful studio, which has all, everything is working and <laughs> sounds lovely. And he has engineers and interns and people are getting you coffee and, whatever you want. And yeah, you know, I, was, I was like, well, uh, you know, this, yeah, I, I could do this. This is how it should be. You know, this is great. Yeah. And, um, and then he's, he's an incredible producer. He's really good at what he does. He's, uh, he just kind of works a full work day almost. And he's very inspired and he's a multi-instrumentalist and he has all kinds of ideas and you do. And he has a, a process with his, engineers Mm -hmm. where he can do things get things kind of up on their feet very quickly Mm -hmm. and be sort of multi-tracking so it only takes an hour to to sort of have a song be fully realized Mm. um which is which is way faster than i yeah like to work and and it was it was great and and so you know we really had basically made an album in like three or four days 
Jeez. And and it's very fast. And I would say for me personally, I don't necessarily like that way of doing it because after it's over, I felt very emptied out. Yeah. And then I kind of didn't feel like I had much to do creatively <laughs> for six or seven months until my well could fill oh, up again. Yeah. So for me personally, it's better to be working on something bit by bit throughout a year. It gives my life a little structure. It gives my, um, it just works for my you, personal. We, we can't reload that fast for you. It's not that. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe I could, but it might end up being feeling forced or something. Yeah. And I just do better if I'm kind of just trucking along doing a little bit every day mm-hmm. rather than saving it up and doing it all in one week. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think that 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 um, model is is more common for people with uh, bigger budgets and more um, fame, for lack of a better word. You know, like oh, some yeah. big famous famous band gets all their shit and goes to some exotic studio in Jamaica and you know and makes that- it all in one week, and then they they go back to their mansions in <laughs> different parts of the world, and you know it's yeah. over. Yeah. And um, so I have a feeling it's probably common for a lot of a lot of people. Oh yeah. Oh well, now working with Dan in Nashville. Do you do you ever run into uh, David Ferguson while you were down there? I don't think so. Okay. I don't uh, remember. D- Dave. Uh, well, it, it probably if you heard one, he has a really gruff voice. So his voice sounds like you know he's like eighty-five and smoked uh, a. Th- 17,000 cartons of cigarettes which he probably has. Uh but he goes good. He, he goes by Fergie. Um and uh he's he's done several albums with Dan, but we had him on the show and that guy he he's basically what you're you're taught I mean he's a a monster in the studio. He recorded uh he was recording Johnny Cash for like the last 20 years of Johnny Cash's life. Um but uh, oh, wow. yeah, it was a real, real cool guy. I mean, all kinds of crazy stories. But Fergie is is like that, that dude in the studio of just nine to five. I forgot his actual hours. He gave me the hours and the breakdown of like, here's what you do. This is this. This is that. Then you go in and do the and like it was just so matter of fact. And it yeah, it seems so different than what you would think an artist does like you know it's just like wow that seems very businessy but you know i get i guess <laughs> yeah. that's well, what you get in that that industry like that yeah and and there's there's a and there's a billion amazing records that came out of that process you know oh, yeah. and a billion amazing records that come out of you know sort of alternative processes yeah. so it's, it's not like there's one that's right over another no. Uh, but yeah, it's always kind of kind of interesting to dip into that world when you start meeting real session players and yeah. real. Uh, it's very business-like, and you're like, this is kind of wrecking crew kind of uh, culture, you know, where it's like, yeah, they show up and they have coffee and they have their reading glasses and a notebook and they they go over a baseline and <laughs> yeah, that's what that's that's Fergie to a T right there. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's him. Uh, now I think I think Dan has a dog. He hasn't reached out to you to make a dog head, has he? I, I don't know. I might not even be on Dan's radar. You know, he's a <laughs> that bigger, bigger. He's got a much more famous dog 
ceramic portraiture. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> your yours are like you said. They're getting. They're taking over your life. You got to watch out. Soon he's gonna reach out and be like, "Hey, I need a dog head. I need one right now." You real bad. <laughs> well, right around that time of the solo project, you also started your label, uh, Rocks in Your Head Records. Now that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, what what made made you say like <clears throat> I should start? I need to start a, a record label. Well, uh, you know, some of it was a little bit influenced by Dan. It wasn't um, the whole story, but I remember that you know when he invited me to come make a record, he was just starting his label. Yeah, and I think my my record might be like the second or third on the of the catalog. And um, I remember being really like, "Do you sure you want to do that? That just sounds like a big pain in the." You know, and, um, so I was very skeptical when, but after I sort of maybe, you know, a year later or two or something, year or two later, I remember being like, well, why not? Why not um, be a little bit more in control of your own repertoire and have, own your own masters and all that stuff? And, yeah. And um, they're very different, you know, like his, he's kind of working with large larger names and stuff but the the model is the same which is kind of like you know when you're when you're on bigger labels i've been on a couple um you're kind of on on this ship on the you, you know you're sort of on this other big you can kind of attach yourself to this other big ship you yeah. know and and and, and, and in theory you're, you, there's some cachet there you're like i'm on whatever i'm on fat possum and right and therefore you know, I'll be booked more, mm -hmm. you know, industry people will pay more attention to me. And, and those things, those are truths of that, of Can that be. industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and when you kind of start your own label, you're like, you're kind of going, well, I'm just going to go out on these high seas in my little boat. I just bought, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not really attached to this larger ship anymore, which is, has some safety nets maybe and some some things and they're gonna you know maybe they're gonna give advances for records and take care of accountings and monetary things and 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 my name will be on their roster and maybe yeah. that'll look good you know and so you you definitely kind of you jettison that and you're in your own little boat but you know when it's not when you're not drowning it's like uh it's kind of nice to be on your own little boat your own little you're the captain of your own ship, I guess. As For sure, I would say. And um, you, you kind of live and die by your own choices. And some of the stress that I had when I would be on bigger labels was just completely swept off the table. You know, like, will they like it? Will they get behind? Yeah. Will they be? You know, will I be kind of cast aside for whatever some other artist that they're putting more of their attention to? You know, all those things are real stresses that and anxieties that artists have when they're oh, yeah. on labels it was amazing that that stuff was just the, the decks were cleared immediately and i was so the good things were like wow i'm really kind of out here on my own and if i ever want to go work with the label again it's not like i can't but right. uh, it's kind of nice to be having building my own little ship to ship out there but oh yeah so that was kind of cool and then i at the same time i was kind of like well if i'm gonna run a label I don't want it to be one of these just of you. cheeky labels. Yeah, it's just putting out my stuff that other labels rejected or yeah. something. You know, like yeah. Um, so I started earnestly 
just trying to look around my own backyard at what art was here. And I found a lot. I found a lot of bands and a lot of great artists, young and old. And and the biggest problem is just sometimes my appetite's bigger than my ability, you know. And I, I would love to put out more things, and I can't. Yeah. And, and I'll say, being on the label side, working with artists, like, I got a clearer view of, of that side that I never was on. Yeah. And it, a lot of mystique kind of was cleared up. I, there was a lot of years where I was like, well, what are labels, what are they doing right now? <laughs> you know, what are they... I, I'm in Cincinnati. There's not very many people at my show. What's my label doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could, I, there was a lot of that. I could see, yeah. Yeah, you did get some cool cool artists. I mean, Virgil Shaw just put out that uh, the new album there and, and Galore. A uh, couple, couple other uh, good uh, good albums on on the album. I heard are on the record label. I heard the the inspiration came from the. Was that the record store that you worked at when you were uh, growing no, up? No, I never worked at it. I just was a big fan of it. Um, it was kind of I don't know one of those personal moments. I think it was like the first store I walked into when I was had started going to New York and nice. The, the guy was, you know, semi nice, you know, as record store <laughs> record store owners can be. Oh yeah, kind of gave me the time of day. Nice. Um, so I, I, I just remembered it as a as a cool record store, and I tried to reach him and be like, you know, I'd like to sort of use your the title of your old record store. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I think I, I ended up finding out that he had passed. Hmm. So it, the store had closed back in 2003 or something like that, and he had passed a bit, bit later. So, Regardless of the name, yeah, the name yeah, lives on. Kind of a tribute to somebody who had already already long passed. Well, you know, I it's sort of like when I heard that, it did make me, it made me think of Crossroad Records that I used to go to as a kid, and I was like, that'd be a cool Crossroad Records record label. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be an awesome. Uh, I don't have yeah. any artist whatsoever to put on it, but it would be a cool thing to just put out there. <laughs> um, uh, if you start your, start a label, the artists will come. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It depends on uh, how good they are, but they'll 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 definitely be looking. Well, now that uh, that new day with new possibilities has been out for a little bit, what's the uh, what's the plans on music? Have you started another one of those four five song deals where you've got not really an idea but a a, a a spirit in those songs no i have a record that's um just lacking like one song oh wow but, uh, it did get sort of um uh waylaid a little bit just by virtue of um this year and i ended up buying a house with my fiance we're getting married and uh, there's a lot of like things going on that made my my record making kind of slow down. Dogs, mm. dogs. <laughs> I, I I'll tell you what the problem with the the, the dog business is is that uh, I can't say no because somebody will send me it's a, a nice sad story. Message. Yeah, yeah, just pictures of their beautiful dog that they love so much. And, yeah, and 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 yeah, sometimes a little anecdote or two and how much they just love their dog and sometimes there's dogs that have passed you know? uh, yeah and i'm like what am i supposed to say no here i just, <laughs> this is, I, I i gotta do this <laughs> yeah 
I could see it's that. More important than songwriting. That's uh, yeah. You're gonna. I I feel like you might just have to put like a a a, a deadline on like, hey, this is the last dog. I'm gonna do this is uh, this is the end date yeah. for dogs because I feel like that could yeah that could end up just for going on forever. Um, mm. I think I'm just gonna set the price at like twelve grand, <laughs> and, um, and then if somebody wants the dog, I I will definitely do it. You can't say no for twelve thousand. Yeah, that seems that seems doable. That's a uh, I have a feeling the orders will stop trickling in pretty that, quick. <laughs> well, when do you think the uh, the new album there with one song lacking is going to come out? Oh, I don't know. Realistically, these, after you finish, there's a gestation period where you kind of got to get the cover art together and everything into the pressing plant. So probably not till August or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to re-release my first country record. Nice. Um, so that's coming. And, I, and then I have like... Um, we're releasing a record of the of the San Francisco poet laureate. I I produced him just just doing his poetry, and I was just blown away. It was like it was incredible. It's, yeah, I've never really heard heard poetry like this. Anytime I've ever kind of heard live poetry, I've been a little turned off. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of I don't know what I couldn't even describe, <laughs> but things that things that sort of make me wonder. Yeah, and um, this guy was different. And, and my original sort of uh, intention was that it would be set to music or something because just yeah, just dead poetry air. felt yeah. felt a little audacious. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not done, and you don't really see LPs of poets. Not too anymore. often. No, no. And um, but when I heard his poetry, I was like, I'm not, I'm not. You can't touch us. Yeah, yeah. Music. So uh, it was an incredible revelation, and it's going to come out in late June, and that'll be a kind of a new experience. And I'll be curious to see if people appreciate people come through. Yeah, Yeah. people are like, "Wow, this is." Because I I know I was that kind of beatnicky kind of uh, kid who was like loved to listen to you know Jack Kerouac do poetry if there was. Or the, I remember there was some sound recordings of Langston Hughes or Charles Bukowski or whatever. Yeah, floating around in those years, and I thought it was the best. I would, I could listen to that stuff because I was, I don't know, I was interested in words like that. But I don't know if that's still on the menu in today's world of oh, I'm quick, sh- quick, quick. Uh, you know, sound bites and stuff. But I, I don't know how many, uh, how big the audience is, but I guarantee there's an audience. Just oh good yeah. It just needs it just needs to get to the right ears. So yeah, that's that's a cool project. That will definitely. And you said the end uh, end of June. Yeah, yeah, June seventeenth, I believe. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Very cool. Well, Sonny, we are up against a break. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it too. All right, listeners, you can keep up with all things Sonny at SonnySmith.com, or you can stream all of his music on streaming services, either at Sonny Smith or Sonny and the Sunsets. Right now, let's take a listen to my favorite off the new record here, Palm Reader, right here on the Doc G Show.
on my hand there's a scar from the time oh never mind and my love line is hard to see but it's still there on the Doc G Show. You just heard Sonny Smith. Yes! Right here on the Doc G Show. Sonny on the show with his new album there, New Day with New Possibilities. That's actually, as we talked with him about, that's Sonny in the Sunsets, technically. Not just Sonny Smith by himself. Sonny in the Sunsets. Uh, Mike, an interesting food uh, suggestion there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, very the, interesting. The rich table. 
the Rich Table. Now, uh, as you heard in the uh, interview, that's not technically if it were up to Sonny, he's not a he's not a foodie. Uh, this was this was sort of his fiance's choosing. This is a, a foodie place, and I got to be honest, <laughs> it seems like there's some there's some weird creations here. So true. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm not throwing it out that I wouldn't find something on here that I wouldn't absolutely love, but uh, there there's some pretty odd odd combinations. I mean, the one that he recommended, sardine chips with horseradish creme fraiche. That's mm. that's pretty bizarre. First of all, you most things with horseradish, I'm not a fan of. Nope. But uh, I don't know. He 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 fully endorsed those things. Fully. <laughs> so like I I'm gonna take his word for it. Until I try one and throw up, I'm gonna endorse it too. I'm gonna Yeah, I would try it, but I wouldn't uh I was. I wouldn't be excited. I was sort of thinking <laughs> about it, like you know, I I'm I, I guess I'm not a super big enough uh, foodie. I was like, what's what's the huge difference between sardines and anchovies? Hmm. You know, yeah, they're both teeny fish. Uh, and mm-hmm. I looked it up during break. I looked it up. They're 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 fairly similar, but the, usually. Uh, compared to uh, uh, sardines, the more more oily sardines oh, okay. have a flaky, less oily texture, uh, whereas anchovies uh, more more uh, oily and intense fishy taste. Hmm. So, hopefully, with these sardine chips, not as nearly uh, fishy, not maybe. as oily for yes. the sardines with the oily yes. chip. Yeah, this yes. is fish and chips in a whole nother level. This is literally a fish inside of a chip, an it's, actual uh, chip. That's a fact. I, I I would say that's probably where they ca- you know got it from. They were like, mm. hey, what if we just throw it in there? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay, it sounds good. Fish and right, yeah. chips. Yes. And boom, <laughs> do it. Yes. That's uh, I mean, it's pretty cheap too. It's just three fifty each. Uh, so. You know, that's one of the cheaper things they got on the menu. They got right above that on the menu. They got their caviar. Word. Uh, Czar Nikolai Estate Caviar. Black pepper yucca fritters hmm. with Monterey cheese whip, which is uh, $49. So that's not too cheap. Just saying. Yeah. But anyways, uh, next time I head out to the Bay Area, I'm giving it a shot. I don't know when that will be, but I'm giving it a shot. Mark my words, listeners. Yeah. If I if I go to San Francisco and I don't come back and say, "Hey, I tried uh, Rich's table," you guys, you message me and let me know. Hey, hey, <laughs> you went back on your word. All right, you didn't do what you said you were gonna do. I'll do it. Anyways, Mike, uh, we have got two birthday uh, suits. That we have got to get through here, and I don't know if you're going to get either one. Uh, That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You're used to it by now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which one do you want? Do you want the '70s singer the, first or the uh, '1700s person let's first? Let's go with the '1700s guy first or girl. Okay. Lady. Well, technically, uh, '1800s too. 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. 17, so born, 1800s. <laughs> uh, totally an area that you know a lot about, Mike. You are a bit of an expert. Uh, born on February 9th, 1773 in Charles City, Virginia. He was the son of a founding father of the United States, Benjamin Harrison, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. 
Our birthday suit wearer grew up in a life of privilege, ended up going to Hampton Sydney College in Virginia. Uh, don't quote me on this either, Mike, but I'm pretty positive that's where uh, the lead singer of uh, Carbon Leaf, former guest of the show, hmm. met, was at Hampton Sydney. Pretty positive. I'm going to go back and check it up. Following up on that, too, listeners. I'm got, I've got you. I've got you. <laughs> He uh, went to uh, went into a military career at the age of 18. After he rose the ranks of the army, he started in politics. He was a member of the sixth, the sixth United States Congress. He was then appointed the governor of the Indiana Territory by President John Adams. In the 1800s, our birthday suit wearer went back into the military. He became a general during uh, during Tecumseh's War and was a general during the War of 1812. In 1814, he resigned from the Army and was elected again to Congress, this time in Ohio. He decided to run for president in 1836, but lost to Martin Van Buren. He then ran again in 1840 against Van Buren and won. He decided to give the longest inaugural speech in American history. It took two hours to read. He then caught a bad cold not too long after the inauguration. And sadly, our birthday suit wearer only lasted 30 days as president. Most likely, uh, experts say he died from enteric fever. Not from getting a cold during his inauguration speech, but actually from, uh, from water that had pathogens in it at the White House. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He had the shortest presidency of American history. John Tyler assumed the role of president after our birthday suit wearer died. Name that birthday suit wearer. Uh, no idea. Last name, Harris? Oh. Yep, Harrison. Harrison. <laughs> Harrison. Yeah, no yes. idea. No idea. Here we go. Let's see if this rings a bell. If you had to memorize presidents, I don't know, at any point in time in your history classes. William Henry Harrison. Mm. William yeah. Henry Harrison. Yes. Yes. Uh, in, in case you didn't know, Mike, in, in case you were writing this down, uh, as far as, uh, you know, your, your or order, ninth president. Ninth. Well, okay. Ninth president. Do you remember what uh, Lincoln was? 16th. 16th. 9th to 16th. <laughs> yes. Thank you for answering because I would have not known. <laughs> no, no, no. You knew. You knew. <laughs> Listeners, he totally knew. Don't worry about it. He's he's in. Like I said, Mike's an expert of history. He knows all of it. He was just hey, but testing. You know, I did hear about the, the bad water thing in the White House, that he wasn't yep. the only guy who was affected and passed away from that. Yeah, oh, yeah well, there were, there were uh, you know, there were multiple sanitary uh, issues. And the, and the big thing yeah. with William Henry Harrison, that was the thing they always used to, like, you know, joke about, was because that was the big question with William Henry Harrison when he was running for president, right? When he was running for president, he was already, uh, that was, uh, you know, election of 1840, he was already 67 years old. Which back then was absolutely ancient. I mean, you know, yeah. our president now is over 10 years older than that. But, uh, like, back then it was like, Jesus, 
Can somebody <laughs> live that long? That's insane. You know, so like people thought like, oh, this guy is weak. He's not going to be able to, to be president because he's just too old. So like he wanted to prove like. F you guys. I'm 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 robust and virile. That's right. So he went out there on his inauguration and gave the longest speech ever, just rambling on for two hours. Like, see, look at me. I can yell for two hours. <laughs> I'm just like Doc G. Blam. You know, that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> but uh, but then uh, he got sick and died. And everybody back then, because of sort of old you know old wise tales, was like, oh, he got. He he got sick because he was out in the cold for that long, which that's not really true. You don't get <laughs> nah. sick from just cold weather. Obviously, you get sick from pathogens. And mm -hmm. a researcher went back and sort of investigated it and found out there were like basically, I forget the exact setup, but there were leaky pipes that like sewage was leaking into the into water, the water yeah. of the White House. And uh -huh. that's what he got sick from, which obviously makes sense. So there you go. William Henry Harrison. Okay. Okay, Mike. Here's the, the next birthday suit that uh, I'm not sure if you'll get this one either. Don't know. <laughs> Born on February 9th, 1942 in New York City, our birthday suit wearer started playing piano when she was about three years old. And when she was four years old, her parents realized she had perfect pitch. That's a, it's a fantastic uh, superpower, Mike. It's a it's a really cool one. Perfect pitch, hmm. you know. You know what perfect pitch is? Um, not really. No. It means you can produce any note, or oh, okay. you can name any note. So if a person says, "Hey, play a D flat," you can play like you can sing a D flat without hearing it. You huh. can just produce that note. Or if somebody just plays a random note on the 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 uh, piano, you can say, "That's a that's a C." That's an A minor, you know, whatever it is. Like you can, hmm. you can name it out. Uh, th it's very rare. Literally, like I, I forget the actual statistics. Don't quote me on this. I'm gonna look it up, follow up. But I think it's like one in one hundred thousand people can do it. Hmm. It's it's a very high, you know, very very high number as far as one in something. Yes. Uh, very rare. So this lady, extremely rare that she had perfect pitch, and she found it out at four. Uh, our, there's a pretty good number of those folks in music, though, obviously. It helps. Uh, it yeah. helps when you're a musician with it. Uh, our birth It's a secret superpower in music. Hmm. Anyways, our birthday suit wearer always wanted to practice more when she was young. By the time she went into high school, she had already formed a band. After high school, she went on to Queens College where she met Jeffrey Goffin, uh, who became her writing partner and her husband. They ended up writing the song, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which uh, was performed by the Shirelles and became a number one hit. Our birthday suit wearer and Goffin ended up writing several hits during the 60s, including Up on the Roof, which was performed by the Drifters, and You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, performed by Aretha Franklin. They also had many other hits. However, in 1968, the couple divorced, and in 1970, she came out with her first solo album, which was titled Writer. Her second solo album, Tapestry, was far, far more popular. It had the songs It's Too Late, You've Got a Friend, So Far Away, and I Feel the Earth Move. The album stayed on the charts for six years. 
six years and sold 25 million copies worldwide. Jeez. It was uh, it also won our birthday suit wear four Grammys. Her third album, Rap Around Joy, had two big singles, Jazz Man and Nightingale. Since then, she has released 14 more albums. She sold over 75 million total albums. She's uh, in the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. She's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. The Grammys has given her a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And last year, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Name that birthday suit wearer. I don't know, but huge fan of I Feel the Earth Move. I am a no, huge a fan of that jam, song. It's a good jam, right? It's a huge great fan. jam. Carol um, King. Carol King. Uh, Carol King with Tapestry. That is, a, that is a fantastic album. I'm too far away from it here in the studio, but I've got it over there in the old album collection. Nice. It's over there. It's uh, you know, it's a classic. You can't not have that album, and it's it's awesome artwork on the front too. She's just sitting there, barefooted beside a window, and a cat staring into your soul with her on this on the uh, window seal. Like, hey, we're just here making music, me and Carol. It's pretty amazing. It's nice. uh. And uh, you're right, man. I feel the earth move. That's the uh, that's the first. Uh, if I'm if I'm, I think I'm thinking correct. I'm pretty positive that's the first song on the album. Comes in with a banger, you know. Yeah, you she just come does. in and rock out right there on the the uh, on the. And if you're looking for, by the way, a great cover, yes, it is the first song. I had to look it up. It's the first song on the album. Uh, if you're looking for a great cover of I Feel the Earth Move, Shine Down did a live cover of that. Woo! Mm. They rock it out. They they do it amazing, man. Uh, Brent from uh, Brent Smith, the uh, lead singer of Shine Down. I have said it multiple times, but he is one of the the best singers in rock and roll, in my opinion. And he kills it on that song. Kills mm. it. puts puts the emotion in there that you're like, wow. Okay. He nails it. Okay. He nails it. Also, um, you know, they started Shine Down in Jacksonville, so you always got to give them a shout-out. True, uh, true. But nonetheless, it is Carol King's birthday turning, uh, what would that be? Where were we? The year, let's see, what was it, 1942? So turning 80. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Carol King turning 80. Ah, happy birthday, Carol. Yeah, she, very uh, prolific. Just, I mean, like I said, Tapestry, though, as far as great albums, like, you can't get much better than that album. That album's one of the, the all-time best of the 70s. It's a fantastic album. It's fantastic. Is it on my playlist, Pubes? You better believe it is. Okay? <laughs> There's like five songs from that album on my playlist of the 70s. That's, that's correct. Yes. Mm. Anyways, happy birthday to Carol King, William Henry Harrison, and... Uh, who was our first one, Joe Mike? Pesci. No, Joe Pesci, your favorite, and you got it right. 33%, Mike. <laughs> yeah. 33%. Mike, we have a great show next week. I'm extremely excited. We have none other than Ben Cote on the show. Uh, just a fantastic guitarist. He's been he's got thousands and thousands of followers on uh, Instagram and other social medias because of his wicked guitar playing. He can just just my goodness. 
the the music he can make. I wonder if he has perfect pitch. I'm going to ask him. Mm. We're going to ask him in that interview. Mm. Uh, but he went to Berkeley Music too. We're racking up all these Berkeley music yeah. goers. Uh, he is an alum of the show. I'm very excited to have him on the show. We're going to be doing a uh, a Zoom interview with him, so I'm really hoping he's going to uh, he's going to play a little bit. But you know, I can't force him to. But I'm hoping he will. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping he'll. I'm hoping he'll pull out the guitar, give us a little six string magic. But anyways, until next week, guys. I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, none other than Mikey Maximus, the Furnicus Charette. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This is great. Love it. Fantastic as always, great man. Show. And until next week, zip it up and zip it out. Zippity doo dah. Woo.